Hey everyone, you are listening to Kesora Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. I'm a teacher candidate studying at the University of Ottawa, sharing my journey into education with the world. Enjoy this episode. All right, so good evening, everyone. Tonight, I am talking with um, the weird teacher who is also known as Doug Robertson. Uh, he is joining me from Portland, Oregon tonight. And Doug and I first connected on Twitter. We also hung out during an Odd and Mentors through Voice Ed Radio during the Teacher Candidate Takeover Night. Uh, so good evening, Dad and Doug, and thank you so much for accepting to be on my podcast tonight. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. I'm really excited. And we, we hung out on that chat, but my computer was spazzing out, so I didn't actually get to be on it. <laughs> I was just listening. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did appreciate it having... It like a really good conversation. It, it did. It really did. And we, we got your voice in there thanks to Twitter. So we kind of, we found other ways to, to get you in there. I was your voice. I was your voice on that podcast. Yeah. That's true. You were. That was very nice of you too. Cause I was like, I have things, I, I, I have things to say about this. Must tweet faster. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's 140 characters is enough, enough when everybody's getting like their two minutes on air on, on the show live. So yeah. I know how you feel. <laughs> well, I have, I have a lot of, things that I think we're going to end up talking about tonight and I think it's going to be a really fun and an interesting episode because uh, of the different perspectives that we bring to the table so you uh, as a teacher and myself as a teacher candidate and and first before we even get into that I'll just I'll let you introduce yourself to our listeners Uh, so um, like you said my name is Doug Robertson and I teach fifth grade in um in Gresham, which is just outside of Portland, but it's Portland for all intents and purposes. Um, (laughs) I, this is my 13th year of teaching. Um, I've taught in this part of Oregon. I've taught in Southern Oregon. I taught in Hawaii for six years and I taught in Southern California before that. So I've kind of been all over the place, uh, as far as the, the, the left coast of the United States goes. And I've taught anywhere from third grade all the way up through sixth grade. So I've been all over the upper elementary levels, all over, all over the left coast, and we're going to kind of talk about mentoring, I think, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I've had just as context for that, I've had, I had two student teachers when I was in Hawaii. I had a student teacher and an alternate student teacher last year, and I have a student teacher and an alternate student teacher this year. And then just to get that plug in right away. <clears throat> Sorry, I've written um, three education books so far. Uh, He's the Weird Teacher, um, which is like a kind of educational philosophy book. It's not going to teach you how to teach fractions. It's going to talk about like how to find the joy in education. Mm-hmm. Um, my second teaching book is called The Teaching Text, You're Welcome, um, which is not going to teach you about teaching at all. Uh, that, that is, that's a satire. The point of that book is, um, and you, you're, you don't know this yet because you're not really in the thick of it yet, but sometimes when somebody writes an education book, they be, they begin to buy their own hype when it gets super popular and then they will begin to preach from on high, uh, to us lowly teachers about the things that they wrote in their book and it gets kind of irritating. Um, but they would never like 
you have to be you have to feign modesty and stuff like that so the point of the teaching text you're welcome is somebody who wrote a teaching book and then decided not to feign honesty and thinks that he is the most wonderful greatest teacher to ever walk the earth so it's kind of written from directly talking down to you <coughs> but trying to be as funny as possible while doing it. Yeah. So, like, the first <laughs> sentence of the book is the three greatest teachers who ever lived were Socrates, Yoda, and me. So, like, <laughs> that's where we're coming from with You're that. You're right up there with Yoda. I right up there with Yoda, yeah. yeah. Um, and then my new teaching book just came out, and it's called A Classroom of One. And mm-hmm. that is a specifically about the mentor-teacher-student-teacher relationship and how mentor-teachers and student-teachers can interact and grow their partnership for the greatest benefit for both. And that one was, I think, hopefully we're going to get into that a little bit more, but that one was really wit- written because as someone who's been a mentor teacher a few times i don't feel like there's a lot of guidance for us as far as Mm. what to do with student teachers and i kind of wonder this i don't think i think the same thing about student teachers a lot of the time you're just kind of thrown into a classroom and you're like okay go and it's Mm -hmm. there's so much more to to making that as effective a an experience as possible so that's what that Mm -hmm. book is aimed at amazing okay First thing first and probably the only question that I actually knew that I was going to ask you tonight is is this whole idea of you, you call yourself the weird teacher and and you wrote a book about it and I just want to know what what's the meaning behind all that what what's the philosophy behind that uh, so the name is um, it's not something I came up with I'm not uh, Rocky Balboa uh, who called <laughs> and Nobody ever gets that reference. In the first Rocky movie, he's the Italian stallion, and he made that up himself sitting at the dinner table. That's why I say uh. that. Um, and I, I say it, and then I have to explain it, which makes it not funny. Um, <laughs> Maybe some of, some of the listeners got that, and they're just not nodding their head. I not use in. that anymore. Um, <laughs> but the weird teacher thing came up. I was writing the first book in Hawaii, and I was walking down the hall of my school and two kindergartners for some reason were sitting outside of their classroom and when I walked by them and this was I was teaching fourth grade at the time when I walked by him one of them leaned over to the other one and whispered he's the weird teacher <laughs> and I was like that is the greatest thing I've ever heard ever in what my have life. you done to them I for them to think that I don't know but it was so cool it was really exciting that as a fourth grade teacher the kindergartners knew who I am um and I think they recognize me because I am not a quiet human being so like if somebody needs to talk at the assembly I will raise my Mm. hand I will talk at the assembly and I will play around at the assembly and do those things that need to be done so that's probably where they'd seen me plus it's kind of a unique look you know you don't see very many man teachers in elementary school as it is and then there's the long hair and there's the tattoos and there's the motorcycle so like that whole thing just kind of That'll do it. None of that makes me the weird teacher, but all of that kind of makes me stand out and get a little more noticed. Um, Mm -hmm. So you decided to embrace this? They're they're five. They're not going to sue me for copyright infringement. What are they going to (laughs) do? Yeah, but I was like, that's a perfect one. That's a perfect title for the book that I'm writing. And also that's just a really good 
kind of description of how I felt because the actual weird teacher thing is 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 one of my goals in teaching is if I'm given something I don't want to use it like I'm given it I want to take it mm -hmm. apart and I want to pull it to pieces and turn those pieces around and see how I can best use those individual pieces to help my students and to right. be a better teacher and so I think part of that is kind of the weird teacher philosophy is is we are all about taking things apart and 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 making it better and making it more fun and trying to find that angle into something that is not an angle that somebody else would have taken that's something that i really right. like to do and so like my classroom has has things that other teachers have like one of the things okay so let me do my classroom and then i'll do the other thing um, okay i i use puppets in my classroom because one puppets are awesome Everybody should use puppets. They're so much fun. Uh, and of two, course. the kids love the puppets. The kid, I have two main puppets named Corson and Sophie. Uh, and Corson is kind of a gruff puppet, and Sophie's like super excitable about everything. And uh -huh. the, the kids like Corson and Sophie so much more than they like me. What? Like, they just they would much rather be taught by Corson and Sophie all day long, um, which is great. So, and these students are in grade five, correct? Yeah, they're fifth grade. Okay. And you would think, like, these kids are 10. They're too old and too cool to, like, I'm standing up there with a, like, I'm not even trying to do ventriloquism. There's no magic. There's a puppet at the end of my arm that I'm, like, manipulating her arm or his arm. And you can yeah. see my mouth moving, but they don't care. They're not looking at me anymore. Now they're watching Corson, who is making fun of me. Um, huh. while he's the, the furry human thinks that he is in charge of this classroom, but he is not. I let him <laughs> be in charge. Now, humans, we will learn about the readings. You know, that kind of stuff. And they just love it. They, they it cracks them up. Yeah. Like, can Corson teach us today? What? I'm right here. Guys. Um, so there's going full on with that. Um, and then I also do alternative seating, um, which is a fairly popular thing right now too um but i started doing it not realizing that it was becoming a very popular thing i i had a classroom a friend, yeah yeah i had a classroom that we were just kind of struggling they were good kids but we were struggling to connect and to stay focused and it was just kind of one of those years that things weren't working they weren't clicking like i wanted them to and i was talking to a friend of mine named jess lifshitz who's in this incredible fifth grade teacher who's from chicago um and i think she's at jess fifth on twitter um okay and she was talking about doing donors shoes and getting alternative seating for her kids like getting beanbag chairs and stuff and i was like that's a great idea and then i went into my classroom because i can't do anything like halfway i'm gonna get a few beanbag chairs that i'm not mm -hmm. good at like i'll just do it a little bit uh, yeah. So I went into my classroom <laughs> and I stole a, an Allen wrench from our custodian and I took all the legs off the desks, all of them. So they were all sitting on the floor. And then I went to Goodwill and I got a bunch of pillows and I went to Donors Choose and I got beanbag chairs and wobble stools and like, wow. and it totally changed how my class worked. The kids were 
it just worked. They were able to be more wiggly, and it was more free, and I had some standing desks that kids could stand at. And that was the same year that I, I had to take a... Um, uh, I had just moved to Oregon, so I had, I had to take a formalized, standardized test to transfer my Hawaii license to Oregon. And okay. it was the most uncomfortable I had been in forever, because when you have to take those tests, it's like a test on a computer. So you go into this room, and they make you empty out your pockets so you don't cheat, oh. and then you have to go and sit in front of a computer, and there's dividing walls so you don't look at the teachers on either side of you that are also taking some kind of tests. And it's just this super stressful environment, and I hated it. And about halfway through the test, I went, this is kind of what happens to my students when we're taking like a reading test. They have to sit like, yeah. not like this, but in a way that is very similar to this. This sucks. I'm doing this to them like every Friday. Oh <sighs> my God. So I came back and like, you guys can, as long as you're not talking to each other, you can sit wherever you want when you're taking the test. And suddenly everything about the classroom just became a little more flexible and loose mm -hmm. and comfortable. And so all of those things put together kind of created the weird teacher thing. Plus, like, I'm really big on making. That's a This is a kick that I've been on for the last uh, three or four years now where... Um, okay, so you need to tell me what you learned from this thing. But instead of you just have to write me an essay, um, you can, here's some cardboard. Make something that expresses your learning. And as long as it accomplishes X goal, then I'm okay yeah. with it. Draw me a picture. Do Make a video. So kind of putting all of those things together um, seems like it's become the weird teacher I can appreciate that. I, I really can. And I, I feel as though you, you're thinking out of the box. You know, you're not stuck in that box that most teachers just kind of live in and go through their, their, their lessons plans that they've already used for years and years. You're not one of those stereotypical teachers. And that, that's that very, absolutely. And that's <laughs> very, very true. And that, that's another, that's kind of what else I wanted to, to bring into that is, mm -hmm. um, shoot now there's two things again okay so yes you're exactly right part of that comes from when i was teaching in hawaii uh, my fourth grade team it was a really big team there was five of us i think um it was a pretty big school and most of them were they were excellent teachers i want to make that very very clear but they had all been teaching fourth grade for a long time so it was like january is in this file folder and february <sighs> is in this file folder and they were very good at it but it was very structured and i've mm -hmm. never been able to teach like that anyway and seeing that and being like your classroom hasn't changed in a decade that's lame <laughs> pushed me in the other direction anyway mm -hmm. um but then on top of all of that one of the best things about writing the book is the first book he's the weird teacher is so many teachers would reach out after they read it which was a surprise to begin with i didn't think anybody would read it um so many teachers would reach out and be like i thought i was the only one i <sighs> thought i was the weird teacher in my school i did not realize there was so many there was there was you and suddenly there's like this whole you started this community, right? Yeah, kind of, and not on, it wasn't like I'm trying to create a brand, I'm trying to create a community, it kind of just organically happened, all of these people, mm -hmm. like, we found each other, oh, you, what do you do that's weird, and what do you, oh, wow, that's really cool, and so, like, 
I feel I don't ever want to take like ownership over any of these ideas because none of them are uniquely mine. Everybody mm -hmm. is doing some pieces of this in their own way, but my I'm doing all of these pieces in my unique way. It does not make me better than somebody else. It just this is my weird teacher and part of like when I run professional developments one of the big messages that I try to leave the room with is I do not expect you to leave this teaching like me I expect you to leave this trying to find ways to teach more like you um, mm. to move more away from the structured way that you think capital T teaching should be like when you close your eyes and you picture what teaching looks like in a movie or what okay. a teacher looks like and then moving as far away from that as possible and being yourself as a teacher and some people are those teachers like I know kindergarten teachers who like when you picture a kindergarten teacher that is that person and that's great because they're an excellent teacher but there are also other people who are definitely not that and are still just as effective and so to okay. help people find who they is and and let them do that and there are so many other pieces that go along with that like you also have to be in a situation where either your administrator is super cool or doesn't care or kind of trusts you or lets you get away with stuff if you have an administrator that's real tight and hard it doesn't work so well so there's lots of things to finding your your inner weird teacher let's say yeah we need you to come and do a speech and a keynote at my at my university I to would all of love the teacher to. candidates. <laughs> I want to. Can you speak French? Can you do it in French? No. Okay, we'll make an exception. So you speak That's French, right. right? Yeah, I'll be your translator. So I'll talk, and then you do it, and then we'll just go back and forth. It won't sound as good, though, coming out of me. You, it's just so authentic when it comes from you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know how I would tra translate find who you is in French, <laughs> particularly <laughs> We can make it work if we have to. Uh, professional teacher, <laughs> professional writer, find who you is. Yes, yes. Yes. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I really love it. Okay. So you say that you're very invested in everything that you do, and I totally believe that. And you say that you like making lots of things, and you know, you've written so many books, and I just wonder... I, it's got me thinking on how you find balance because you have a family and you have children and you're a fifth grade teacher. And, you know, I, I know teachers who don't even have time to make their, their meals at home or, or clean their house. You know, they have to get somebody else to do it. How do you balance that? You know, and this is coming from a teacher candidate where I have, I don't have kids. I don't have a husband. I, you know, I'm pretty independent. I don't have other people depending on me. I'm just, you know, I don't know what it's like having a full course load, a full classroom to myself. Like, how do you find that balance? Um, okay, so again, for this kind of thing, I just want to be clear, this is coming from straight white male middle class teacher because the thing that I, things that I'm going to answer with this are not universally true. And so okay. it's just really important to, to stress <clears throat> that where I'm coming from is not going to be useful for everyone but I try to make it as universal as possible if that makes sense absolutely one of the things that and this gets this is like valorized if that's a word by teachers it happens on Twitter all the time and it kind of just 
gets into us through the media is teachers should be sacrificing themselves on the pyre of education. Good teachers are at school all the hours and are spending all of their personal money on their classrooms. And that is a dangerous negative. It is a dangerous negative narrative for us to have embraced and let happen. Uh Um, Because it is not healthy to be only a teacher. Now, I am, I'm the weird teacher. It's the thing I think about (laughs) the most. You know, it's, it's my job. I think about it over the summer. I, I, uh, but I'm also a dad. I'm also trying to be uh, a a people. I'm trying to, you got to translate that one too. Um, (laughs) You got to be a people. Um, And I believe that being yourself and not being a capital T teacher all the time makes you a better teacher because it it relaxes you and it it gives you a wider range of personal experiences. So the way I handle all this stuff is I leave. I I and I don't take my work home. I I refuse okay to grade at home and does that mean that sometimes my grading is a little bit behind or my lesson planning is a little bit behind yeah but one of the things about teaching is it will be there tomorrow everything will be there tomorrow you you will never ever ever be caught up ever you will always you are never going to be sitting in your classroom and think i think i'm done i think I think everything is This done. is gold. What you're saying is gold right now. I'm just like thinking about my future and how like, it's gonna be, I will just feel that way forever. The yeah. last day of the school year, like the students have left. It's summer break. You're going to feel like, okay, I'm done for like 30 seconds. And then you're going to start thinking about next year, or you're going to start thinking about the conference that you're going to over the summer or yeah. things like that. So it is... It is vital for our health as a profession to not embrace the martyr teacher narrative that is so popular and so pervasive and we do it to ourselves it is in the culture of education you yeah and it's it it comes out as jokes um yeah you know i just i spend thousands of my own dollars on my classroom and you you just kind of toss it off but everybody nods when you say it. It's like, don't know. You, and you're yeah. going to spend some of your own money. That's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you, you can't. And saying that, even, and I believe this deeply, even saying that makes me feel like I'm not doing, and this is a dangerous thing, I'm not doing the best that I can for my students because I'm not willing to spend hundreds of my own dollars on my classroom and so that and that's a weird like uh, I'm not willing to stay in my classroom until five o'clock every night that's not okay Mm -hmm. that it's not healthy I leave and I go to the gym and then I come home or I just come home and I have to see my kids and over the weekend I'm not thinking about teaching explicitly I'm thinking about teaching but I'm not like lesson planning I'm not grading that is they do not pay me for 24 hours they they pay me for however many hours it is during the school day and i will work during the school day now i'm still i'm still quote unquote lesson planning at home 
you know you and you can't avoid that it's not a, I, it's, yeah i feel like it's impossible to just disconnect completely coming home and not doing anything education edu whether it be on twitter or you know sending emails answering emails like Oh, I find that so tough. I don't, I'm not very good at it. Absolutely. What you're saying, I'm like, oh, it's not one of those challenges. It's not a job that you can just put down and leave, but it is a job that you can kind of, and you're going to have to force, especially like your first year, you have to force it to the side. The best advice I ever got was my very first year of teaching. A guy who had been teaching for a thousand years. Um, had kind of taken me under his wing and he said have a hobby and I was like what do you mean and he said have a reason to go home have something mm-hmm. at home that you're doing that is not educational and that's such good advice and once you're a parent that is no longer a challenge <laughs> I, I have something to do when I get home but like when I was teaching before I had kids I was I was doing triathlon and I was still writing blogs and I was going to the gym and doing so there was always there's always got to be a reason to leave the classroom yeah um wow we you cannot buy into that good teachers do blank thing that eats your life um Mm -hmm. because you can only maintain that pace for so long that's the whole thing right because you know teaching it's so common at least here in canada for for teachers to go into burnouts and you know I'm not even starting my first year and our our professors and our faculty are talking about you know we want to make sure you don't go into burnout in your first five years because statistics show and so on and so forth and I'm like whoa you know how can I avoid this how can I, I I need to reach out and see what teachers are doing who have you know went over that five year teaching mark and have made it and that have found the balance and you know finding kind of that that recipe that works but i really i really appreciate what you're saying tonight it's like little nuggets of, of gold <laughs> and burnout burnout is one of those things and like the five year thing is really important because <clears throat> you don't really know what you're doing until like five years in like your first yeah. year, and this is sucks as a new teacher to hear, so just like as a warning, you're going to be bad at the job your first year. You just are. Cause it's, I've it, embraced that. Yeah. It's not a job that you can, ju- even if you have a wonderful student teaching experience and a wonderful mentor teacher, there's still going to be times during that first year where you're just not ready and you're just not good. And it's going to, it's going to hurt. Um, I can't remember who said this, um, but it's it's a fairly famous quote about artists. And one of the hardest thing about becoming an artist, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not saying uh, it's not exact, but one of the hardest okay. thing about becoming an artist is when you start out, your taste is good, but your skill is not. So that means you are creating something that you can look at and know that it is not good because you have good Mm -hmm. taste but you don't have the ability and it's getting over that hump and continuing to work even though your ego's like the sucks the sucks the sucks and getting over that piece to getting to where your taste and your ability are starting to at least come into some sort of harmony and it's very similar to teaching there are things in your first year that you're just not gonna it's they're gonna come completely out of left field and you're not gonna be ready no matter how prepared you were and that you, but after like five years 
you kind of got your feet under you and you kind of have developed your own voice as a teacher and figured out what your strengths are and and how you can balance that kind of stuff so that's why the five-year burnout thing is is really true um mm-hmm. and but then it becomes dangerous in other ways because then you get set in your ways maybe and then you're kind of the same teacher every year and that's not necessarily good either or right. you change schools or something happens and then once you're once the overwhelmingness of the job <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> stops being such a threat it it becomes all of the other stuff that becomes a threat my administrator is bad i don't like my school my parents are hard yeah. And that all, you have to find other coping mechanisms. And some of my advice for that, coming from a personal perspective, is is not, I don't know if it's the best advice, is leave. Like, I have worked huh. in schools, um, the school that I was at before I, I'm at the school that I'm at now, that the situation was really bad. I had a really bad vice principal who just was not, we did not mesh. And, and I did not agree with the way she did things and she did not agree with the way that I did things. And it was a miserable time. And it was, mm. you, so you can be like, well, I'm here. I'm starting to accrue years and move across on the pay scale. And the environment kind of sucks, but I'm here. Or you can pull that ripcord and be like, I for myself I have to leave and again that's a really easy thing for somebody to say but when you're 10 years in at a school and things become intolerable it's still really hard to leave because you're 10 years in and it's hard to go somewhere else but that's all stuff that's like way far in your future Um, right (laughs) as far as the the early stuff most of it is just have a reason have something that is not teaching anything that mm-hmm. is not go home and knit or or go to the gym or what write whatever it is have a release that is non-educational plus that's, that's that will <laughs> that will inform your practice like i i have taken triathlon and it's become part of what I do in my class. I'm not like riding my bike and swimming and running in my classroom, but the, the <laughs> mental toughness that you learn doing yeah. that and the, the, the endurance and the way you fight through things becomes something that I use in my teaching, you know? That's so cool. That's like a whole nother podcast that we could talk about that because I think that that's really neat how you could like implement all of the like abilities and stuff that you're learning through doing triathlons into your classroom. I just think that's really, really Mm -hmm. cool. But I want to um, kind of make sure that the the second part of this podcast um, really focuses on your most recently published book, A Classroom of One, um, which I ordered it, by the way. Totally expect it signed, and you can just, like, ship it up to me here in Canada. Okay. (laughs) Side note. Wait, did you order it from me or from Amazon? From Amazon. Okay, and then it's going to be harder to get it signed from me. But we can figure it out. We'll figure it out. We can figure it out, yeah. <laughs> I'm more than happy to. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So from what I understand and what you kind of said at the in your introduction, the book is about valuing the partnership between student teachers and associate teacher we call them associate teachers but we'll call them mentor teachers for now right that's kind of what you guys call them, we call them yeah the universities mentor call us teachers. cooperating teachers but then 
in the in the relationship, it's normally called a mentor teacher. Yeah, I like that so much better. Associate like, teacher really, is kind really of a weird. Do. I don't know. It feels impersonal. Yeah, it's it's your associate teacher. I know. And in French, we even call it something different. So, nonetheless, <laughs> we won't go through all of the uh, all of the dissect all the words. But I when when you wrote this book. Did you write it for teachers or for student teachers? Who did you have in mind when you wrote this book? For both. It's it's directly both. aimed at, and it's really as niche an audience as you can possibly get. Because, like, if you're just a classroom teacher who does not have a student teacher, you will re you can get stuff out of it, absolutely. But it is written specifically for college students who are either at the end of their education program going into student teaching next year or college students who are going or who are student teaching currently and it is for veteran teachers who are currently taking on student teachers like that that right. is the very specific audience who I wanted to write it for because I feel like that particular audience never get does not get books for for us because it isn't us well, it's, yeah. it's something that would have helped me when I started having student teachers because I was making it up as I went the first time I had a student teacher you don't get much guidance mm -hmm. from the university some universities no the university do, but well our university will send you know the associate teachers or the mentor teachers a you know two formative uh, assessments and one summative and they have to check in at you know those three dates when they're due and that's about it you know it's really us as the teacher candidates going in and saying okay well on week one the university said that i'm only observing okay week two i can take on 10 percent of the course load week three i'll take on 20 percent, and then you know by week five i should be taking on you know 60% and so on and so forth. See, and I... That's... Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, that's just more like we're guiding the associate teacher, especially if it's their first year taking on a teacher candidate. Um, it's a lot of us who, you know, we are already... I feel, you know, my experience was I'm already kind of imposing and I'm telling you what I'm supposed to be doing. It's really hard to find my place. I don't want to step over any feet. I don't want to cross boundaries that I'm not sure that we, you know, haven't gauged yet. There's just, like you said, there's so much to it. And that's, that's a terrible um, feeling because you right. as the student, the, okay, the job of the mentor teacher should be, the initial job should be to welcome the student teacher into their class. We asked for you, okay? Most of the time, sometimes you're just assigned yeah. to us, but let's let's live in a little happier place right now, and we at least yeah. agreed to have you, right? So mm -hmm. we are opening our classroom doors to you, which means it is on us, the mentor teacher, to make you feel welcome, to not make you feel like you're imposing, and that's one of the things I hit really hard in the book is you are you as the mentor teacher are sharing your classroom which means everything needs to change including the way we refer to our classrooms it is not my classroom anymore i have a student teacher right now named christine and i do mm -hmm. not refer to it as my classroom it's our classroom now right now she's only with me two days a week she started out five days the way her program works it's a year-long program five days a week for the first quarter 
uh, two days a week for the second and third quarters, five days a week for the fourth quarter. Um, like okay. in the most general terms, but it is not my classroom. It is our classroom. And that literally is like the first conversation that she and I had was, I want to make it very clear. This is your classroom too. And that is be that mm-hmm. that does a lot of things. Hopefully, that immediately makes her feel more comfortable. She is no longer imposing because I am verbally, explicitly welcoming her in into yeah. this environment. Because this is an intimidating, weird relationship. Because I have all the power, <laughs> and she has you're none right. of the power. And you're signing off. On if I pass this, you know, this placement or not. Exactly. So, like, it's a really, and I have all of the control. Your job is to learn how to be a teacher. But my job is to make that happen as best as I can. But I have all of the control. If it's my classroom and I am one of those very tight fisted teachers, you're not, you're just going to watch. Or you're just going to be making copies or you're going to be running like a reading group and that's all you're going to do. And that is no way to prepare somebody to walk into their own classroom all by their lonesome their first year that is the opposite way to prepare a teacher so mentor teachers it is not on the student teachers there's students that's the that's the word student (laughs) you need to treat a student teacher like you would treat a student welcome to our classroom i am going to help you as best i can you need to tell me what you need so that's one of the conversations oh. I have with Christine. Like, yes. what is it? What is because I know you're taking classes right now. So, like, is there anything in any of your classes that you need to be doing in the classroom right now? Because we'll do that. But she's also doing constantly. She's in front of my kids every single day. And right now she's doing really basic, easy stuff. We do we do morning work. It's the only worksheet I give. But it's a great gateway lesson you just do the morning work every time you're here you do the morning work and the kids start to see you as a teacher because as far as i'm concerned our relationship is i'm the mentor you're the student but as far as the students are concerned the important part of her title is teacher she's the teacher and the kids need to not see her as an aide or a visitor or a guest they need to see her as a or friend. I had the friend issue. You know, the kids wanted to be my friends instead mm-hmm. of my students. Yeah, and they need to see yeah. you as, and that's hard because um, I remember from a hundred years ago when I came out of university. You look young, so the kids like yes. you're you're young and you're not an old like Mr. Robertson. So we can talk, and it's not true. Uh, I'm a teacher, so the Basically, kids. But yeah. that also means that I need to treat her as a teacher in front of the students. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very yeah. frustrating to hear that you feel like you're imposing on your mentor teacher when I believe it is your, and I don't know your mentor teacher and I feel bad if I'm like bad mouthing uh, him or her, but I believe it no, is. No, I have a really, I have a really good mentor teacher for my second placement. It was more of my placement last okay, year. So, yeah, no, it was just, you know, it was also my first time being a, te- a teacher candidate, right? Like, I didn't really know how I was supposed to act, where I was supposed to be, when. I, I also had a lot of, there was a lack of communication, even when I, I, I asked for the directs- directives or asked for, you know, what kind of work can I do? What can I teach today? There was just, there was something missing there. It, it just didn't click. 
as well as it maybe could have, but I made the best of it. Nonetheless, I'm not saying that I I had a bad experience. I learned a lot. I got to teach tons of cool things and experiment. I think that was one of the, one of the greatest parts, but I can't say that I really connected with my mentor teacher on a deep level. Uh, So that's, so to say, I mean, that's good. And teaching is so complicated, complex that, um, Mm -hmm. that's, I don't know. That's one of our jobs is, to I feel like um, okay so as the mentor we need to be setting all of the expectations very very clearly this is what you will be that's doing. what was lucky this is yes how <laughs> yes. you will be doing it at least to start this is the things that we must do and that all comes from constant conversations which I think is one of the things that one of the reasons that I wrote the book there's like there's like this three page section in the book that like if you don't get anything else but you're going to be a mentor teacher you have to get this and that is Mm -hmm. the daily conversation every single day at the end of the day before you go home or your student teacher goes home you guys should sit down at your desk and talk about the day Um, and for me because Christine is teaching, and this is true for every student teacher that I've ever had, uh, every time she is in front of the classroom, every time a student teacher is in front of the classroom, I am creating a two-column chart um, where one column says likes and the other column says suggestions because dislikes mm-hmm. is too negative. I don't like, I don't yeah. like that. <laughs> um, and then just as she's teaching, I'm watching and I'm keeping notes. Like, I like that you did this. I like that you did this. Suggestions. You, you spent too long on this. Or you didn't hit this hard enough. Or this kid is playing around in his desk and you didn't notice. And he's been playing around for 10 minutes. Just, and that all changes depending on how far into the year we are and what kind of goals we've decided to set. But then at the end of the day, I have this page of notes that's like, okay, you tell me what you saw and how you felt, and then I'll tell you what I saw and how I felt. And through that, we will grow and you will become a better teacher. And honestly, the reason I started doing it sounds like this is some amazing, oh my gosh, he's taking two columns. It honestly started because I knew myself well enough to know that if I wasn't taking notes when my first student teacher was teaching, I would get bored. And I'd start screwing around on the internet or spacing out and I would miss what she was doing. So I was like, I have to take notes. Otherwise I will not know what's happening. And then it Yeah, well it you're, turned... you're obviously in it for the right reasons too. Some teach some mentor teachers just take on student teachers so that they don't have to teach at the you know, at the end of the year because somebody else will be taking on all the work. Right. I hope not. Probably. Um, As far as that goes, the best reason to have a student teacher, if you're not in it to to grow the profession and make it stronger, the best reason to have a student teacher is you can go pee whenever you want. (laughs) Because there's another adult in the room. I like that. (laughs) I'll be be back in two minutes. I had too much coffee. Yeah. (laughs) Sneak out the door. Uh, Yeah, I love it. So what would you say to somebody who might be listening to this podcast and who has yet to take on a student teacher and, you know, is hesitant to to have somebody and to share that space in their classroom and to be, you know, technically responsible for molding and shaping this future teacher? What would, I would you tell them? them? My book is on Amazon and it's called A Classroom of One. <laughs> and it's <laughs> um, uh, OK, so that sounds like I'm. You know, without going through too much of your book, but yeah. <laughs> Which actually, that's I, that's the 
first or second chapter of the book, I can't remember, I wrote it, but I can't remember now, um, is like, I go through the reasons that someone might have for not becoming a, stu a mentor teacher. But the, the easy version of that is, um, I understand why it's scary to become a mentor teacher, because we already are kind of, teachers are constantly, you, you, you have a imposter complex anyway. You already feel like, okay. and all of us feel like this, I think. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, somebody is going to, my principal is going to walk into the room and she is going to know that I am faking this one thing or this one thing is not going exactly right. So now you're being tasked with, I'm going to have somebody in my room every single day watching me, <laughs> but yes, I don't yeah. know what I'm doing. And, um, or... Uh, the, the the other thing, the, the more frustrating excuse that you hear is, I don't have anything to offer. I'm not doing anything special. And that's that's um, not true. For 98% for of teachers, because I, I choose to be very optimistic about our profession based on the people that I have spoken to and the people that I know. Um, and I've taught in three different states and four different districts, so I feel fairly comfortable saying that um, everybody is doing something interesting everybody is doing something their own way and doing it well and everybody has something to give back and saying i have nothing to give to a student teacher you stop that sentence one word earlier and no teacher would ever say that i have nothing to give to a student and that is the mm. way we should be thinking about student teachers is as students what do you have to give to a student and on top of that um we as veteran teachers know how hard that first year is those first two years we understand so yeah. why would we not do something to lighten that load as much as possible for someone else why wouldn't yeah whether it's giving them strategies or resources or you know whatever it may be right let's <laughs> show a little empathy remember how it was when you were beginning and what what do you wish you could have had that would have made it better for you and if that doesn't yeah. convince you then remember that if you don't take this person somebody else will and maybe they won't do it as well as you and then that person that student teacher will be a teacher next year and they will have a classroom full of students why didn't you help that classroom full of students don't think about the student teacher anymore think about the 30 kids that student teacher is going to have all by themselves next year when they're in their own classroom with a contract why didn't you do everything you could to help those 30 kids so there's lots of reasons um, that's a really interesting perspective. I've never actually thought there's, of it that there's, way. There's so mm -hmm. many reasons to, to take a student teacher. And I also, um, selfishly, I mean, I've written three books about it now, really two, because the second one doesn't really count. Um, I feel like the way I believe teaching should be done, I feel very strongly about it. So I'm kind of throwing, uh, I, the metaphor I like to think about is, is ripples in a pond. I'm throwing pebbles into a pond and I'm creating ripples. And I've taken student teachers in Hawaii. So now I have two student teachers who are spreading the weird, let's say, who are spreading the weird yeah. through their classrooms in Hawaii. And both of them have promised me that when they've been teaching for five or six years, they will go to UH and they will ask for a student teacher. And then that will spread that ripple more.
And so I've had two student teachers here, and they are starting to, you know, the things that I believe are getting into those teachers and those students. So I'm kind of secretly building my own weird teacher army. But someday we will take over education, and there will be so many of us uh, that that's like my big insane person goal um, is uh, I want more people to teach like me, not exactly like me, but in, you know, in general like me. So I'm going to take student teachers so that m eventually, eventually there will be only people who, who, who believe like I do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way to believe. I think. Otherwise I wouldn't yeah. believe <laughs> like that. Of course. Uh, and so you've you've seen student teachers, you've talked to student teachers, you've had student teachers in your classroom. I, I want to know from your perspective as a teacher, what when a student teacher is coming into your room, whether it's their first time in a classroom or I, I don't know, do you guys have a two-year program there or is it one year? Um, Oregon is a one-year program, but when I taught in Hawaii, I had two student teachers, Bethany and Matt. So I had Bethany for half the year, Matt for half the year. And then the next year, Bethany was with me the entire year. And that's how their program worked. Okay. So whether it's their first or second year coming into your classroom, what is something that, you know, other than experience, what is, what are these teachers lacking coming out of university and going into your classroom what are you constantly always working on with these teachers every year you know that you're gonna have to work on this because that's something that when they come out of their classes in college or university that's you're really gonna have to drill x y or z into oh, them you, you or help them z, with. and that warms my heart because i never get to hear it uh, <laughs> i really like it though um <laughs> sorry um well experience obviously is the big one but that that kind of like of that encompasses so much because you guys come to us full of educational theory which is very mm -hmm. different than educational practice so it's a lot of taking the things that you have learned in university and showing you how to mold those things for real life if that makes sense um but that's not really yes that's kind of experiences that's that's the that's the answer that you were asking or that you were asking me not to give because uh, I follow directions really well well is it you know is it like classroom management right. is and that's it the, the two biggies know. are our classroom management and uh, currently it's technology um, and classroom management because um, it's impossible to teach that in university. Like you can talk about it and you can talk about, you guys can do pulling cards or you do this and there's positive reinforcement and you can get all of that theory, but you really can't learn classroom management until you are in a classroom. Like you're so what? Oh, yeah. You're so right. Like I had a, I had a whole class, a whole semester that was called classroom management. I don't think I learned as much in that class in university as I did when I stepped foot in an actual classroom. Like, it's not even days. comparable. Because you cannot predict. You have ever. I've been teaching for 13 years, and I still am surprised constantly by what <laughs> students do. Like, cause, because my students are 10, and your brain stops working at about 11 or 12 or 13 because hormones take over. So my kids are right on the cusp. 
grasp of that. So they're constantly, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a Calvin and Hobbes comic. And I mean your brain stops working in a good way, not in a bad way. Just, it's not their fault. There's a Calvin and Hobbes comic where the first two frames are Calvin hammering nails into his coffee table. And just like happily hammering away. And then in the third frame, his mom comes in and she's like, what are you doing? And he like gets this look on his face like, what am I doing? And that happens all the time. Like, when they say, I don't know, sometimes that's literally what they, they don't know. So, but you can't tell somebody that. They have to experience a, a child looking at them and being like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> to, like, Amen, yes. understand, like, how that feels inside of you. Like, when a kid does that, and like, am I going to be frustrated by this? Am I going to laugh at this kid? Am I going to understand Mm -hmm. that you're 10 and that sometimes happens? And like, because part of classroom management is really personal. Like, how do you respond to things? Because the kids will respond to you. So if you're a hard ass, you will have strong classroom management, but your classroom will also be very, very tight. I am not, Mm -hmm. so my class is a little noisier than most classes, and we probably have a few more conversations about, all right, guys, let's get it together, than some classes do, but it's also a very, it feels like a very relaxed community in my room, because I am less strict about certain things. Um, I have a buddy named Sam Patterson who I love and also does puppet stuff. Um, but he thinks I cheat because he makes his own puppets. Uh, and I just buy mine. Uh, but I love Sam to death. And I was just on a podcast with him not long ago. And he said something that like stopped the conversation. He goes, well, classroom management is a myth. And we were all like, what? (laughs) And he's like, if you keep your kids busy and your classroom environment is good, then you don't need classroom management. It's a myth. You know, it's not a real thing. You can't teach somebody how to do it. I was like, I, "Whoa, I, game changer!" He, he's right. Yeah, if your kids are, if you are planning good lessons and engaging lessons, and the kids are busy, they don't have time to screw around. And that's not universally true. There will always be a kid who will find time to screw around, but for the most part, um, and that's one of those things that, like, when they come to me, coming all the way back to the question that you asked an hour ago, um. <laughs> That's that's one of those things that when student teachers come to me, they're, that's like the number one fear is there's 30 of them and there's one of me and they're going to overwhelm me and they, they know that they have all the power. But they don't. Not unless you tell them. No. And, not unle- yeah, and a lot of it is right. acting. You are pretending that you are in charge. <laughs> You're just improvising. Um, and then the <laughs> other thing that I really wish and this becomes more and more clear to me. The other thing I really wish student teachers would come to me better at, and I kind of blame universities for this, is they need to be better at ed tech. You must be better at educational technology. Mm -hmm. Student teachers need to be coming to mentor teachers like, what are you doing with Google Classroom? What do you guys, do you guys have Google sign in? Are you using docs? Are you, are you making YouTube videos? Are you guys editing things? What are you, and like, you need to be the next generation that does not have to learn how to use technology in the classroom on the fly. Your universities should be preparing you 
to use technology in the classroom all the time like it's nothing. Like it should be ducks in water. When you are planning a lesson, part of that lesson, part of your thought process when you're planning that lesson should be, how can I implement technology? Now that gets a little more complicated because then you have to be thinking like, how can I implement technology if this classroom is one-to-one, which means everybody has a computer or a tablet? How can I implement technology if there are four computers in the classroom and they are so old that you actually have to crank them to get them going and there's like (laughs) modem noise when they're getting onto the internet and it takes seven hours for a web page to load? How can I still implement classroom technology? How can I get my kids, assuming I work in a school district that is socioeconomically where this is, if they have phones? How can I have my kids using their phones? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm not one-to-one... But half of my class has a phone and the parents are okay with them bringing it to school, then I'm two to one. I just have to be more creative with it. Um, yeah. And mm, you're preaching to the choir here. I feel like you and I would get along we are very BFFs well. Now. <laughs> yeah. I can, I, I feel like, ah, uh, you just hit like a really sensitive issue in, in Sarah's life because I am I feel like I'm the black sheep of you know of my faculty of my of my cohort of you know in teachers college because I am like that one go-to ed tech kind of girl um I I, I just I, I love it I know lots about it because I've I've done my own professional development and gone to to summits and you know I'm just kind of dove right into it and when students in my class have questions because we are not getting taught ed tech whatsoever right now um it really hurts me it really pains me and we're going into these schools and we're not doing our due diligence to you know the 21st century it's it's become a cliche and i kind of hate using cliches but sometimes they're true um we use the term 21st century learners and it's 2018 like we're yeah, way far into the 21st century now. We shouldn't be getting ready for 21st century learners. Uh, they're they were born in the 21st century, like that's and that's that's a whole other conversation. What a trip it is to like talk to a kid oh, and they'd be like, "When you when you were born?" And they were like, "I was born in 2005." And you were like, "No, you weren't, because that's insane. Um, nobody was born. In, that's not possible. No, you weren't. You couldn't have been born in 2005. Nobody was born after the year 2000, because um, that's weird." <laughs> I also feel that way, yes. But you were probably born in, like, 1996 or something, right? Yeah, 94, so, yeah. And that's weird, because I was born in 81, so. But I'm still, you know, before exactly. 2000, so, you, so we'll just you're, you're, accept You sneak it. in under the wire there. It's just, because, yeah. like, in America, we teach we teach um, 9-11 when the towers fell, the, the New York attack. But yeah. yes. my kids are 10, and that happened 2001. My kids weren't born when that happened. So when I teach that, it's like when I was in school and I was being taught about Pearl Harbor. This is capital H history. Like, not a thing that I can think about because it only exists on TV. And that's so, that was so weird the first year that that happened where I was like, none of you were born in 2001. None of you have any idea what I was talking about. (laughs) 
that it's a struggle. Yeah. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Honestly, again, never thought about it that way. I have a lot of time to think about this kind of yeah. stuff. That's my dog. If you can hear him, he's insane. Yeah. <laughs> All good. Um, to, to close off this really fun conversation that we've had, I've, I've laughed a lot. I, I really have. I've, my, my cheeks hurt. I'm just like constantly smiling. Like I'm going to be going to bed smiling. Um, to close this off in, in oh, one no. sentence. Okay. <laughs> this is the challenge. Okay. I'll give you time to think about it, but you know, I am a student teacher. You are. I will call you a veteran teacher. 13 years, you know, you you got some years under your belt. So what would you tell a student teacher starting either their placement or even their first year in a full contract in a new school? Just a a tidbit of advice in one sentence. You know, you're like your go-to motto. Um, Okay. You know what? I think I have this. Um... I love it. <laughs> uh, I would I would say I don't know if this is one sentence. Um, I would say that we'll make teaching <laughs> is a joyful madness, um, and you need to embrace that because children are more fun than than adults, and you are lucky enough to get to work and play with kids all day long. That's your job. And no matter how frustrating it is, mm-hmm. no matter how irritating your administrator is sometimes or or the parents or the assessments that you have to do or any of the non-teaching stuff that intrudes upon teaching, at the end of the day, you get to hang out with kids all day. And that's awesome. There we go. Doug, I have to thank you. I want to, I can't wait to post this podcast so that we can continue that ripple effect that you were talking Absolute about. Absolutely. army. You know, weird teachers. And we will build this army in the United States and in Canada. I will start your army up here in Ontario and we will take like over it. education. <laughs> have a so great much. night, Doug. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Kesara Sara with me, Sarah Ann Lalone. You can stay connected with me on Twitter at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, Lalonde, L-A-L-O-N-D-E-E. And you can also find my podcast on iTunes under Kesara Sara.